Well, it's the beginning of a new church year, and that means that we're beginning new series. Steve began his last week taking us from the gospel according to John on to the front lines of everyday life. And as I've been speaking about already this morning, over the incoming weeks, uh, when it's my turn to preach, I'm hoping that we together would journey through the book of Jonah to see what it says to us, to learn a little bit about who and what he was, and to discover what in the story challenges us, changes us, and transforms us and encourages us to be different people. So we begin in Jonah chapter 1. Because if you're going to start anywhere, the very beginning is a good place to start. Come listen to my tale of Jonah and the whale. How many of us have sung that song in Sunday school? I know in the congregation in which I was born and raised, that was a staple Sunday morning kids song. How did he get there? Where? The response. What did he wear? Where? The response. Way down in the middle of the ocean. Yet there's so much more going on beneath the surface than just an ocean and a wheel or a big fish, as it might actually technically be. And a, and, 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 a, and a location. Or how many of us have been in one of those awkward moments in school or on team building exercises where we've been asked questions? Where we've been asked questions such as, what's your favorite color? Oh, I don't even know if I have an answer to that. Or we've been asked, if you were a vegetable, what kind of vegetable would you be? And in Jonah's case, the answer apparently is asparagus, if we are to believe the wonderful directors of Veggie Tales. I don't know why they chose asparagus. Maybe somebody can go home and find that out. But anyway, that is who they think Jonah would be if he was a vegetable. So let's jump right in. Because over the next six sermons, what we'll be looking at are a couple of things. Today, we'll begin by saying that, jo- that God is telling Jonah to go to Nineveh. We will see that Jonah then responds to God by saying, actually, hang on, wait a moment, please leave a message after the tone because I'm not available to answer your call. Then we'll see the, the mystery that exists in every human before we move on to talking about storms and fish, before we then look at an incident in which God repents, before we explore this troubling love that God seems to be offering, before then we return at the end of this series to ask ourselves, as we will at the end of this sermon this morning, where is my Nineveh? Where, as a community of faith, is our Nineveh? And where Are we running, and what is God calling us to that we are running in the opposite direction from? So, Jonah. I'm sure even those of you with little biblical knowledge are more than accustomed with the story of Jonah. In fact, ask somebody on the street and they could quite easily tell you who Jonah is. Probably one of the best known of the 12 minor prophets. His story is told in countless children's books. The famous incident between the man and the fish, undoubtedly the story's most memorable moment. Though right at the outset, we should look at and acknowledge that Jonah is in actual fact different from all of the other minor minor prophets 
to which he's lumped together with. Because there's something that keeps all the prophets in common. Because if we were to read all the minor prophets together, what we would see is that there is normally, in a prophetic book, a specific date and a specific king of Israel. And we would also see that there is always normally an oracle, that there is always a thus says the Lord. But in Jonah, what we see is that there is no specific date. And as I've been reading this week, scholars differ in opinion as to when and where and how it was written. And it would take all six weeks of this mini-series on Jonah to try and distill that. But we see that there's no specific date. But we also see that there actually isn't really a prophecy either. All we have is God commanding a man to go somewhere and tell the city of its deeds. So maybe what we have in this book is more the story about a specific prophet. And maybe what we have and maybe what we see the narrator doing or saying is suggesting to us, the readers, that we really need to read this book differently to how we read the other prophets. Maybe the narrator is saying to us this morning, do not get distracted over whether or not this actually happened. Maybe the narrator of the story is saying to us, let's look rather for the meaning within. Because after all, Jonah is a short book, 48 verses in total. Yet these 48 verses have tantalized and intrigued scholars and commentators from the very beginning. Martin Luther, John Calvin, to name a few, who have struggled with this text to what it is saying and what it is meaning to us. And while we may come to the story of Jonah with our own questions, such as, did this actually happen? Could a man actually live in a fish for three days? What we discover in the book of Jonah is that God himself actually also has questions. Because we discover God asking questions like, what kind of person are you? We discover God asking questions such as, what kind of God do you worship? And we discover God asking questions such as, do you do well to be angry? But the thing that is fascinating about the opening of the book of Jonah is that right from the outset, what we see is there is a lot of repetition going on. And we have seen before, as we have journeyed through the Bible's colorful characters, and we have explored the gospel according to John, that if the narrator is trying to emphasize something, if the narrator is trying to get us to say, wait, hang on a moment, let's look deeper, then repetition is normally the trademark method. So what do we see repeated in the beginning of the book of Jonah? Well, we see Tarsish is repeated, and we see that this idea of fleeing from God is repeated. So we must conclude that there is something going on here. We must conclude that in these opening scenes, the narrator in these verses is trying to set the scene. But we must also conclude that if we miss from the outset what is going on in these opening verses, then we really will miss what the book as a whole is trying to convey 
to us, because throughout the rest of the book, the narrator will build upon, expand, and develop all that is contained within the first three opening verses. So what is the narrator emphasizing? Well, the narrator right from the outset is emphasizing that Jonah felt that there was a place that he could go where he could completely escape the presence of God. What the narrator is emphasizing is that Jonah felt that there was a place that he could go where God would not be. But what we also see in the opening verses is the narrator kind of having a joke. What we see is the narrator kind of winking at the original hearers of the story. Because for those original hearers, they would have known where and what Tarsish was. Because it existed. It existed in Spain. It not only existed and was a real place, but it also had the reputation of being a sort of modern-day paradise. So what the narrator is doing in these opening verses is showing that Jonah is pretty convinced that in actual fact, the best way to get away from God, the creator of the universe, was to go to a place where that creation was actually on display. But there's more going on. Because what we see is not only the repetition of a place name, and this idea of fleeing from God. But we see that something was happening in Nineveh. We see that God is calling Jonah to go there. But Jonah doesn't want to go. Why do you think Jonah doesn't want to go? Because he's aware that maybe God is going to try and do something there. Actually, God is already at work there, and he is calling Jonah to be part of his plan to bring restoration and reconciliation to the city. So this morning, let us ask ourselves, where would we expect to find God? Would we expect to find him in the sunset of a modern-day paradise or in the artificial light of the red-light district? Would we expect to find God in the tranquil, blue, idyllic shoreline or in the tempest of emotions in the methadone clinic. Surely we would find God rather in the lush golden sand than in the grittiness of everyday life. But our story this morning, our story of Jonah reverses all our ideas. Our story subverts what we have come to expect and imagine. Our story says to us, wait, hang on a moment, because the narrator of the story is on to something. Because this morning, if you want to find God, the one place that you will always find him is in the dark, shadowy alleyways of the soul and of the world. The place that you will always find God is in the parts of ourselves that we try to repress, deny, or disown. Because in those very places, because in those very places, the creator of the universe is most at home. 
Think back, if you will, to when we began our series on John. How did it begin? And the word became flesh and moved in to the neighborhood. We talked about how the darkness existed, yet the light of the world came into it. We saw as we journeyed through the gospel of John, a Savior leaving the glories of heaven to enter into the darkness and the messiness of our world. So we begin Jonah with the same idea, because it is in the midst of that darkness that light is found. Because the divine dwells in the darkest places. Because darkness is an important companion as we learn to experience God in our lives. But do we always see it? Surely we live in a world that has come to rejoice or enjoy pleasure more than pain. Surely we live in a world that enjoys light rather than darkness. I have to admit, maybe the people at McCracken know this more than you, but at the age of 28, I am still afraid of the darkness. In fact, I actually still sleep with a light on. Now, don't judge me for that, but some people, we all enjoy the light more than we do the darkness. Because sometimes, sometimes in our lives, we have come to prefer pleasure over pain. We have learned to settle for surface pleasure rather than ocean-deep We have accepted or settled for the wispy circle of peace rather than the richness of joy because we have failed to see that surface-level joy is always linked to the events and circumstances in our lives. New job, joy. Promotion, joy. Getting married, joy. The arrival of a baby, joy. But lose that job or promotion. Or that marriage or relationship falls apart. Or that baby gets sick and the joy seems to be no longer there. But this morning what we need to realize is that joy, deep joy that God offers us completely and freely is not dependent on what happens in our day every day. Darkness, light, darkness, an important companion to discover joy. So two questions, three questions to ponder this week as we begin to delve into, explore, and reflect upon the story of Jonah. Where is your Tarsish? What's your symbol of escape? Because for Jonah, Tarsish was a place where he could go and be totally free of God. Where do you go to escape at all? Where do I go to get away from it all? ponder that question, if you will. Because Tarsus actually isn't a bad place, but it's how Jonah was using it that is the problem. And so it is with us and our Tarsuses. That's a very difficult word to say. I don't even know if that's the plural or not, but anyway. So it is with us, because we need to ask ourselves the question when we're trying to escape what are we actually trying to do? Are we trying to escape reality like Jonah was? God calling him, he flees, wants to escape. Or are we using our Tarsish as a place to enable us to usher ourselves back into reality? So where is our Tarsish? But also ask ourselves this morning, where is our Nineveh? Where 
is the place this morning that we really don't want to go? Where is the place or the person or the situation or the circumstance that God is calling us to and we really want to get on that boat? We really want to flee. We really don't want to hear what he is saying. This morning, as we come to this table, why don't we name some of those circumstances and situations in life in which we find ourselves running from God? But why don't we also acknowledge that actually in the darkness, it's only we discover light. Because as Leonard Cohen sings and Stockman often quotes, there's a light, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And as we continue to journey through this book of Jonah over the incoming weeks, of which we've only begun to scratch the surface this morning, we'll discover that it's a story of reconciliation. We'll see that it's about the reconciliation of an individual to God. We'll see that it's about the reconciliation of a community to God. And so we come to the ultimate expression of reconciliation this morning. We come to a table that expresses ultimate love. We come to a table that says that all are welcome. We come to a table that says that all are forgiven. We come to a table that says all is not lost. And we come to a table that says sometimes it's darkest before the dawn, but we come to a table that says even in the darkness there is light. So this morning, where are we? Where are we trying to run to? What is God saying to us that we are fleeing from? And maybe, maybe just this morning is a time not to get on to that boat and flee, but to hear the call of the kingdom as we, have been, we, as we will be singing and to go back out into the world responsive to it in all our brokenness, in all our fragility, and in all of our baggage, but to go and listen to what God is saying to us and to who he wants us to be and to do it and respond.